If you're thinking about financing a new home, but not quite sure where to start, today, we're gonna cover all the details in this podcast. Well, thanks for being here, Jake Ayroth. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to come talk to us about mortgages and financing. Um, you've been a mortgage lender now for how many years? About 13 years. In that time span, how long? How many mortgages do you think you've written? You've done hundreds, thousands, thousands. Maybe even thousands. I'd, yeah, I'd probably say usually about uh, 150 to 200 units a year. Holy wow. cow. That'll wow. do. That's so you, mu- you must cover a pretty big area then, huh? I do. I cover all 50 states. Get to see uh, quite, of a, quite an array of, of mortgages. Yeah, you've pretty much seen it all. Holy yeah. cow. Um, I mean, that's, that's really one of the first things, you know, when a client calls us is, um, you know, they're asking, hey, what are the first steps? What do we need to do? Um, you know, and I usually direct them like, we, we, need to, we need to set a budget. We need to figure mm-hmm. out what, what we're going to spend on if they own the land or not, you know, what we're going to spend on the land. And then the home, how much is that, you know, how much is the budget going to allow us to build? So I usually direct them to somebody like yourself mm-hmm. to establish the budget. And I think that that typically looks like uh, your pre-approval process, right? Is that is that correct? Is that the first step with you, like when you talk to somebody? Yep, yep. Usually the first step is when I uh, when I get a referral either from, either from a realtor or from, um, you know, someone like yourself is, is getting an application filled out. Um, it allows me to kind of do my due diligence to make sure that everything looks good uh, as far as, uh, you know, uh, qualifying for the type of mortgage that they're looking to get. Um, and then, uh, you know, look at the different type of programs that we have so we make sure that once the process starts, we're not going to have any delays or any hiccups. Uh, I think it's a big piece that's, you know, usually uh, going to help you guys uh, or help, um, you know, someone uh, show you know, show them a house or, or, you know, build them a house. So, right. What information is a client going to need to bring to the table for a pre-approval? What are you looking for? It's as easy as, uh, as me sending them a link to fill out an application. Um, now this piece is obviously a little bit, um, you know, more involved. So I'm going to want to get a little bit more in depth with, you know, the personal information and, uh, assets, um, you know, to, to look at that. Cause we're going to need to have that, those for qualifying. So are they going to need like W2s, like what they make per year or, you know, no. what, what kind of loans they already have, or, or it, you don't need to get into any of that stuff or what? Yeah, no. So we do got to pull credit. Uh, we're going to pull credit. We're going to look at, um, you know, what they have for debt, what they have for income on the front side. Usually, uh, I don't need too much. I've been in the industry long enough where I can take a look at somebody and, and kind of tell if they're going to be okay with based on what they had. Uh, what they have in the system. Um, of course, if they tell me they make this much and they only make this much, that might not work. But usually on the front side, I can tell, um, you know, if, if things look good uh, or if I need to run it through a full pre-approval process, we can do that as well versus a pre-qualification. Sure. And I, I think that's one good point to bring up um, is I've had a lot of clients before we did the pre-approval process is, yeah, I'm comfortable with this amount, you know, to spend this amount on, on a mortgage. Um, but then, you know, we send them to the pre-approval process and then, you know, this is really what it looks like. This is really what, you know, mm-hmm. they're comfortable affording. So that kind of gives them that, that peace of mind, kind of gives them, you know, starting them off on, on the right foot so we can, you know, get them into a house that they're going to feel comfortable with, you know, that's going to meet their budget, going to meet their, their needs and their wants. Um, that pre-approval process, how long does that typically take when somebody starts that process with you? 
Usually once they fill out the application, I like to get back to them within 24 to 48 hours. Wow. Okay. Um, kind of allows me to just look at it and, and then get back to them and discuss, um, you know, some things. I'll kind of go back to, uh, you know, usually when they, they come to me, I, I kind of like to create a lot of notes because if, if someone is doing a uh, construction loan, do they own the land? What's the value of the land? When did they buy it? Um, you know, if they owe anything on it, because we can use all those pieces of um, towards the, the construction process. So I think that is a little different. Like a lot of customers might have experience applying for a mortgage or something like that. They're buying an existing home, right? What's, <clears throat> what are some differences between actually buying an existing home versus if they're looking to set up like a construction loan, construction to permanent you know, mortgage? How does that process look? Well, it's a little bit more involved because I got to get usually on the front side. I like to get, uh, you know, all the information, you know, perfect example. If you're purchasing a home, um, I just get them a pre-qualification letter. They work with a realtor. They go find a house <clears throat> on the construction piece. Uh, I need to find out a lot of information because it's a little bit more detailed, it takes a little bit longer on the front side. Um, I need to know if they, you know, when they bought the land, um, you know, if they owe anything on the land what value we have there, what the cost they're looking to build, uh, because that's going to um, kind of depend on the down payment. Because if they have you know, a piece of land uh, that they own free and clear, they can use that towards the down payment on the construction piece. So it's a little bit different. Um, now, if they don't own the land, we can do that at one time too as well and close at the same time as the construction loan. We don't need to purchase that up front. You're just not going to have any of that equity there to, to use towards your down payment. You just have to make up your own down payment. Okay. So let's break that down a little bit. So if a customer calls in and says, hey, we're thinking about building, looking for property, you know, they get in touch with yourself, let's just say. You set that budget for them. They can then go look at property at the same time and say, okay, we're going to roll the land into the construction loan process, let's just say. But then at closing, they're going to have to come up with cash out of pocket as opposed to whatever equity they may have had built up, right? Correct, correct. Okay. Because if somebody didn't own any land and then they went and got, they went and found some land, if the person that's selling the land is okay with them closing on the same time as a construction loan, it avoids two sets of closing costs. So you're not only helping the customer save some cash, now the only caveat is they have they don't have any of the equity in the land because they're just purchasing it. So then we have to have, you know, the 20% down on, on the construction loan versus, um, you know, and then that cash would have to be brought by them because they're not going to have any equity in that process. But either way, they would have to buy the land. So we might as well just close at the same time if that's feasible. Um, and then it saves them on two sets of two sets of closing, closing costs and fees. Well, in our previous podcast, we talked to a realtor and, you know, properties are selling pretty fast right now. So, you know, I get the question asked uh, by clients, should I buy the land right now? Um, you know, should I, you know, should I sink all my cash into that property? Um, you know, just to lock up that property. Uh, is that, is that a smart move? Maybe putting all the cash reserves into the, into the property or should they save some of those cash reserves? That's kind of the, the question I get a lot. Yeah, I guess it kind of depends on, depends on the seller. Um, if the seller's okay with, you know, us closing, sometimes the builder or who they're going to be using for a general contractor may own the land. Well, then it's, it makes it easier because then they can just close at the same time. If they don't, uh, and the seller's fine with waiting, 
you know, it, it may allow them to keep some of their cash liquid versus, you know, dumping it on the land and then not having enough uh, cash to close or reserves on the construction piece. So it's kind of a case by case just because we want to look at, you know, everything they have. And that's why the pre-qualification is so important because it allows me to say, hey, if you don't own any land, you know, maybe you need to go buy it or you can buy it or maybe we should hold back and, and just close at the same time. And again, it's it depends on who owns the land and who's building. Sure, sure. Now let's say a customer has the property, <clears throat> but they've only got maybe half of it paid off or something. You know, they still have a loan on that land, not fully paid for, and then they want to build on the land. Um, how does that play into how your process might work? Yeah, any equity they have in the land, they can use towards a down payment. Once we close on the construction loan, that construction loan would pay off that land loan. So then anytime during construction loans, you pay interest only on the outstanding balance. <clears throat> so we would just roll that into the construction loan because we don't want to have that extra lien out there. Um, but any equity they get to use, um, if, they, if they don't owe, you know, a $100,000 piece of land and then they have, you know, they owe 50000 well, they have 50000 50, in equity to use. Mm-hmm. towards that down payment. And they don't need to own that land for a certain amount of time? Nope. The, mm-hmm. only, uh, the only thing is if you buy it within the first 12 months, we have to use the value that they bought it for. Okay. If it's over 12 months, then they can utilize what the appraiser gives the land value for. So maybe if somebody got a really good deal on a piece of land, they might be able to get a little bit more equity if the 12 months has passed. I see. Okay. Which then means you'd have more cash to, you know, cash to go towards the closing. Right. So if you have somebody... You know, somebody purchased a piece of land and they've got a, a loan on that. You basically pay off that other lender's loan that you pay that off for them Correct. in the construction Correct. loan process. Yep. Okay. Yep. So that would essentially be the first draw. Be the first draw. Okay. It was not technically a draw, but it would be the first funds that would come from that construction escrow. Okay. Now we've talked before, and I thought it was real interesting. I'd like to bring it up for for the viewers. If a customer owns, let's just say, two hundred acres of land. Um, and maybe it's paid for, you had mentioned in a previous conversation that we have had, you tend to like to break some of that land out separate for, for, you know, for the actual build and then have the rest of it just be considered vacant land basically, right? Right, right. But, yeah, if somebody has a larger piece of acreage, it, we usually like to have 20-acre parcels. Um, you know, so sometimes people will take out a 5-acre, 10-acre, 20-acre parcel, um, which is going to make more sense anyways because you don't want to get taxed on the whole 200 acres. So it'll allow them to have the property uh, with the separate parcel and the house on it. Uh, and that portion would just be taxed because they're going to get cheaper taxes on, on just vacant land versus the house. So I like to kind of break that up and parcel it. Te- technically, they don't usually want anything over 20 acres. Okay. Uh, case by case, you can if it's common for the area. And you mentioned, too, before that that makes it easier if they ever, let's just say, want to gift five acres to a kid to build on the back of their lot or something like that, right? If you don't have the mortgage on all that land, all of a sudden you don't have to reappraise it kind of thing. Correct. Yeah, because you would have to do a partial release if for some reason we had the 200 acres and they wanted to give a portion, like you said, to a kid for five or 10 acres. Um, Because we have a lien on the whole property now, uh, we would have to do a partial release to make sure that we have enough in value of what we have leaned against the property. So kind of avoids that. It's a little bit lengthy of a process. What kind of steps do you take or do you see if, if a customer does come to you and says, okay, I want to get the pre-approval done, get all this process. Here's, you know, let's move forward. Um, 
Do they bring the builder's information to you? I guess, what kind of process do you guys see on the builder side? Is there any steps you take in the industry to kind of, when, it, when you're looking at builders that are going to build for clients? Yeah, so a, a process that, that uh, we like to do is um, we do get builders approved if they haven't worked uh, worked with us before. Um, it's just kind of another process to reassure uh, and protect not only the customer, but um, you know the bank as well. It just uh, runs them through a, a credit check of their own, um, just to make sure that you know we have a legit builder that we're working with. So, sure, I like that. I think that's a huge peace of mind. I think a lot of our clients are building in an area that they're not from. They they probably don't know anybody, don't know the builders in that area. So that's that's like I said, a huge peace of mind. Um, just kind of going through that approval process with them, make sure there's, you know, there's no lien. I mean, you're not doing a quality control check on the build, but you know, you're making sure there's no liens against them and, and stuff like that. That's, that's great. Yeah. I think it's a great process. Well, maybe let's talk about the process a little bit. So you have the first step of the pre-approval, you know, you get pre-approved for, for such and such amount. Um, we now start the design process, um, you know, come up with a set of preliminary plans and, when, when then do you get back involved with, uh, with the construction loan or the build process and after that? Usually as they come closer to getting contracts, um, I like to start kind of moving the process forward a little bit because it allows us to do uh, a little bit of the legwork up front, get the customer um, approved, uh, I guess you would say, by allowing an underwriter to look at it, Okay. Um, then in that time, hopefully we then have contracts, um, from the GC, from whoever's going to build the property, which then allows me to lock the rate in, order the appraisal. Um, usually from start to finish, once I have contracts in hand, it can take up to 60 days, uh, to complete a construction loan. If we're ready to go sooner, 45 days, we definitely close them as soon as we can. But that's typically the process of what it, what it takes. But I usually like to start um, you know, a little bit before having contracts, just so it allows us to get the customer a view in underwriting. Okay. How do you do that process when you're maybe not located in the same city or state um, as that client? A lot of stuff happens uh, via phone, <laughs> email, um, working in all 50 states. Yeah, sometimes I don't get to meet a lot of the customers I work with, but it's a pretty smooth uh, smooth transition with technology nowadays. And, and um you know, getting other documents and, and the, the process of getting them pre-qualified helps me out as well, too. So for sure, if there's anything that, that came good out of the pandemic, I think it's a, our, you know, our ability to, to learn all these these Zooms and Teams meetings and stuff right. like that and be able to work remotely um, with clients. It puts us, you know, closer in contact with, with the client. So to recap, so customer goes to you, they get the pre-approval, they start working with, let's just say someone like us. We go through the design process with that approval in hand. We get to the point where we have our our contract. Um, the builder's putting together his contracts. They get that information to you. You then run the appraisal on the property. Get the underwriters involved, you know, whatever on your end. Now, if a customer says, well, I've got X amount of dollars. I'm just going to throw down cash. Um, are they better at that point putting a bunch of cash down, um, setting up the construction loan, and then paying more before they close, I guess, what kind of process do you see or what do you recommend there? Technically, I'd like to keep, during the process, so many things can change. Um, I'd rather have them keep their cash 
till the end of the process because during the construction process, they're paying interest only on the outstanding balance. Uh, it just allows them to have a little bit more liquidity. Um, and then they could always utilize some of that cash towards the end once the construction piece is done. But there's a lot of variables that can happen throughout the whole construction process that might have them need to have that cash available versus throwing it down right away. So you're, you're, you said you're closing one time, right? Correct. You're yep. closing up front. I think that's, that's construction a to perm, right? Yeah. Right. Yep. right. So you said perm, what, you know, for people that may not know all the uh, <laughs> insider lingo, the mortgage lingo, what is perm? What does that mean? Yeah. So basically it goes to, it starts with a construction uh, and then it just goes to the permanent financing. Permanent finance. Okay. Yep. So no need to refinance again, saving the customer on costs. Uh, Cause anytime you do a construction loan or you refinance, there's always costs associated with that. So, it just allows the nice streamless process of going right from construction to to the end loan and, and being done with it. Actually, let's talk about um, appraisals too. Um, how does how does that process look? How how do you get, how do you go through the appraisal process um, working in all fifty states? Yeah, so we have uh, you know an appraisal company that we we utilize. Um, so anytime we're in you know a different state where I'm not currently located, we. Uh, order the appraisal and it goes to a panel of appraisers in that area. Um, and then someone accepts the job and then, and then completes it. Once they're, once they're done, then they submit it to us. It gets reviewed. Um, and then that's when it comes back to me so I can see it and, and make the ch necessary changes that I need to based on where it comes in at. Sure. What if, what if the appraisal comes back lower than the overall build cost? What is that situation look? Then I need to have a conversation with my customers. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, we have to look at that. And again, that's going to be very important of how much equity they have. It might involve some more cash to the table if it right. comes in a little lower. But if they have you know, some equity in the land, it might not make a huge deal. Sure. I think um, some of the questions we get asked a lot, and I'm sure Justin does too, but if a customer wants, going back to like that builder application, if a customer wants to build their own home, um, and let's just say they're not a general contractor, they're just a DIYer. Is that something most lenders or in your experience, lender would get involved and want to actually finance a self-build? Or do you usually want like that licensed general contractor on the? Yeah, I'd probably say majority of the lenders um, are going to want a GC involved. Um, it's just going to obviously protect um, you know, protect everybody because mm -hmm. uh, they're going to take care of, you know, getting the draws and lien waivers and all that stuff to make sure there isn't a lien placed on somebody's house where, you know, it shouldn't have been. So that's usually why they want, um, you know, a GC involved um, because that's what they do. <laughs> sure. Yeah, they're familiar with the process, um, familiar what what the cost might be. And um, we, you know, we all want a happy homeowner in the end, right? We don't want a, right. a home, you know, sitting half done or something like that. So um, it's good protection for everybody. Yeah, yep. good point. Um, and speaking of, of uh, self-builds, what about like uh, financing a, a shell package? We see a lot of those uh, in the log and timber frame industry. Uh, some providers provide just this shell, the exterior shell of the home. Is that something that, that you guys would finance or do you want all of the, the contracts in place, the total cost to build? Um, what are your thoughts there on shell packages? Yeah, so they're definitely going to want the whole the whole package. You know, the shells usually included 
Um, and then you have your GCs portion. So you're going to usually have two, two sets of contracts. Um, because the process there is if they do the shell, then it just sits there. And now we have a lien on a property that really isn't insurable. Right. Um, or livable at that point. Livable. Right. Yeah. What do you do with it? Right. Right. Yep. right. Now, if they want to put a portion down on the shell package, that can go towards their cash to close. Um, you know, that's nothing against that. We're just going to want all the details broken out of everything involved in that construction piece, not just here's the shell and, and now we sit and wait. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So can a client um, start the build process, start it with cash and, uh, you know, construction's underway, there's a foundation in maybe and there's a shell going up. Now they come to you and look for financing. Is that a good situation or, or what is your thoughts there? It's not. Typically, uh, typically you're going to want to, you're going to want to start on the front side. You're going to want to be involved from the beginning because then you know everything that's went on with that property. Again, that comes back to, um, you know, we don't know, we haven't been involved in the process up until that point. So we don't know who's owed money. Um, so it, it just makes it real tricky because again, there's where, um, you know, things can get involved with just other aspects that the bank typically wants to be on the front side. Sure. So I've, I've had customers ask in the past, and I've always told them, and correct me if I'm wrong, just to that point, you know, where the customer calls up and says, well, I've got X amount of dollars. I'm going to finance this until, you know, basically we, we dwindle the cash down, and then we'll take out a loan to finish it. And I always tell customers to that point, it's not probably the best way to go. And if anything, save the cash and just put it down when you go to close on the loan, you know, let the bank run the loan and then just pay off a bigger chunk if that's what you want to do. Well, and even if they had a construction loan for so much, but they didn't want to borrow that much, during the process before we close, they could put as much cash as they want down. So instead of doing it on the front side and, and starting the process and making it a little bit more difficult, why not go through the, the correct process of the construction loan and only borrow what they want to borrow? So they could do that essentially the same way is just getting the right people involved from the get-go. Right. Sure. I so. like that. I like that process. I mean, you guys put all those checks and balances in your process and it kind of protects that homeowner. I've had homeowners do that, that had enough cash to, to build the home, but they went through the loan process just because of all those protections that they see with your process. Yeah. Yeah. Another real common question is just the overall time frame what the process looks like from the time they initially, I guess, reach out to a lender. Um, I know you can't answer how long it takes to get design and stuff like mm -hmm. that done, but from your side, what kind of time frame was? What does a process usually take? Yeah, so it, it uh, the time frame from start to finish when I have contracts in hand is sixty days usually. That's what I like to set the expectations with my customers. <clears throat> now it depends on how soon they get a hold of me uh, as far as how far along they're in the process. You know, if they're still in the design stage, you know, maybe it's, uh, it seems like construction loans are a little bit longer because there's a little bit more involved on the front side. Uh, but as far as a lending standpoint, once I have contracts, it's, you know, it's technically 60 days from, from start to finish. Do you guys give them a, a deadline, like when that home has to be completed by? You have 12 months to build the house. 12 months? Yep, okay. from close. Okay. Yep. So what happens if it does take a little bit longer? Is there... Yeah, so we can do uh, we can do longer um, extensions um, on there, or if it's not complete, they could pay to extend it, or just have the the loan just roll into uh, to the end financing. Now, 
that piece, if there's, you know, if there's a little left and they don't want to pay to extend it, I guess it would depend on how much, how much is left um, to utilize, but they would just draw those funds, keep those aside, and then they would just start making their regular normal payments instead of the interest-only payments. Okay, so when you say how much is left, you're saying if you establish a construction loan and there's X amount of dollars here, it's within 12 months, that has to be closed out basically, right? Correct. Correct. And whatever's left could get rolled into your actual mortgage. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah. So if you have, you know, let's just say $100,000 left in the construction escrow, because whenever we're doing a setting up a, a construction loan, we have the funds in an escrow. So they're there to be utilized to, to build that house. If 12 months comes along and the house isn't complete yet, let's just say they're a month out. If we didn't pay to extend that construction period, the funds would just be dispersed because um, we'd have the full amount then, but the funds would still be there to use. And then they would just start making their normal full principal and interest payment. Oh, well, they basically okay. start paying on their mortgage, Correct. right? Okay. Yes, because during the 12-month period, it's interest only on the outstanding balance. Yep. After that, then it would be a, you know, your full payment. That's where we talked about the construction to PERM. So it's going to go into the PERM permanent financing with the fixed payment at the amortized schedule that we have. Okay. I know we don't want to talk like payments and terms and interest rates and all that kind of stuff, but when you set up your construction loan, is that when you're looking at kind of current interest rates or do those get deferred until the actual permanent mortgage comes into play? No, we would look at that on the front side. As soon as we have contracts in hand, that's when I can discuss looking at, at rates with each customer. Okay. Yep. When we were talking about timeframes and escrow, it reminded me of the draws. How do the draws happen? What, well, first of all, maybe what is a draw? If somebody is very new to this, to building a home, what is a draw? And then how do those get dispersed? And when do they get dispersed? Yeah, so the, and again, this comes back to having a general contractor involved. So once work's completed on the house, they like to submit a draw request, which usually goes through a title company. Um, the title company is going to do an inspection to make sure that the work they're getting paid for is complete because we don't, you know, you don't want to pay somebody for work that isn't complete. So that's usually how that works. So the GC would work with the title company. A lot of times we're going to find out in certain areas what title companies the builders have worked with. Um, so it can make it hopefully an easier process. Uh, but then the GC would handle, the general contractor would handle all the, the lien waivers and stuff to get the uh, draw funded. So it's basically like a big old checkbook to build your house and you're, you're paying those, you're sending those checks out to the builder as, as he needs it. So Correct. to speak. Okay. I kind of like to call it a little piggy bank. It's, okay. Piggy bank. The piggy bank's over here <laughs> and then funds are utilized. Now if the full piggy bank's not used, <laughs> then that money just, you know, goes back towards the principal. But yes, sure. it's, it kind of, uh, it's the escrow set up to, to fund that construction or that build. Okay. On, um, Speaking of that piggy bank, I guess, let's just say on larger homes, do, do you guys tend to, or do you tend to put like any kind of contingencies in there or do you set it up just based off whatever contracts are in hand? How, do, how does that process usually go? Yeah, usually discussing with the customer on the front side, if it's a little bit bigger of a build, uh, they may want to build like a, a, a 10% contingency in there for any overages because, again, during the construction process, things can change, things can come up um, that might allow them the security or the comfort level of 
of having those extra funds there if needed. Um, because if they didn't have those funds there and there were any overages, then, you know, obviously they would have to come up with those funds on their own. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, we can set up a 10% contingency to be utilized for any overages. And then if it's not utilized, then it would just go back towards the, towards the loan. Just so pays off the loan. Okay. Yeah. I mean, is that something somebody should do on every loan? Um, why would you do it on one versus not? I, I feel like I, I would feel more comfortable going into a build and having a little bit of buffer there because you never know what, what might come up. Depends on how much equity they have because it's going to okay. cost them a little bit more money on the front side uh, because we have to have that 10% contingency there. So if we have a bunch of equity in the land, maybe we can set that up and it's not really going to cost them much more out of their own pocket. Uh, but if they don't, that's going to be an extra 10% that they're going to have to put towards sure. towards the, the end cash to close. And that might come into play like with the appraisal value too, I assume, right? right. Like if you're appraised... If you're building somewhere that houses just aren't building for that much and you're building a nicer house or a bigger house, then right. your appraisal might be. Okay. Yeah. Do you see certain areas of the country being easier, easier to appraise out th than others? No, it just depends on what's sold and what comps they can find. Is that right? Okay. The tough thing sometimes with new construction is, you know, if someone's built in a custom home and maybe there isn't uh, comparables um, you know, that are equal to that home, it, it, it might be tough sometimes, but that's where hopefully they can broaden their, their search a little bit. You say you broaden out that, that yeah. search area, I guess, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Because, you know, a new construction builds technically not a sold property, even though I feel it should be. Um, so if there's three new houses in the neighborhood and, you know, I, I I'm building one, then it's, it, I can't use those as comps because they're technically not sold okay. properties. That seems odd. Yeah. W w at what point can you use them as sold homes? Or are they not until that home sells? Not until the house sells, right? Oh, really? Right. How big of an area do they usually run like appraisals? Obviously, they probably start small if they can, but. They typically like to use within the 12-month period, and they like to go no further than 30, 40 miles. Okay. Um, but again, on certain custom-built homes, you know, they may have to broaden that a little bit and maybe step outside the, the time frame. To be able to support that we covered a lot of information today it may be a lot you know maybe confusing to a lot of people there's a lot of moving parts here um but i think you know with your expertise um the amount of time you've been in the industry working in all 50 states um you just you know there's a peace of mind working with someone like yourself um it just makes the process a lot smoother and a lot less stress-free yeah, no, thank you for having me, guys. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, and yeah, it is a it is a little bit of a a uh, little bit of a process, but that's you know hopefully where I come into play and and help uh, ease your mind and and um, you know help throughout the process, answer any questions, and make it as as painless as possible. But um, if you need to reach me, all my contact information I I believe will be posted up. But uh, I really appreciate the time coming in and look forward to uh, to helping people in the future. Great, awesome. Thanks, Thanks for Jake. coming. Yeah, thanks, guys. Imagine a life where your home is a work of art, where nature and luxury embrace with a custom Golden Eagle log and timber home. Our expert team is here to guide you every step of the way.